Now, we all prefer to be shown mercy uh, over justice. If we're on the receiving end, that is, we prefer mercy. If you're talking what I want, I want you to show me mercy. If you want to know what I want from the government, if I'm over the speed limit and I get pulled over, I want mercy. All right? I want mercy. I don't want justice. I want mercy. A young lady was walking through a park, and there happened to be a photographer there with a Polaroid camera taking pictures, and so she wanted to get her picture taken, and so she said, would you take my picture? And so he did, and he handed it to her, and you know how they used to develop those Polaroids, and as she's walking away, it develops in her hand, and she looks at it, and she's upset. And she turns back and goes back to the man that made the photograph and says, "Uh, Sir, this is not right. This is just not right. You have done me no justice. And the man said, well, let me look at the picture. And he looked at the picture and he looked at it carefully and says, Miss, uh, you don't need justice. What you need is mercy. So that wasn't very nice, but uh, it made my point, what I'm trying to say. And in 1935, uh, LaGuardia, who was the mayor of New York at the time, uh, showed up one night at night court. And because he's the mayor, he had the right to do this. He dismissed the presiding judge of night court, and it was in the poorest ward of the city of New York. And he dismissed the judge and just took over. And an elderly woman uh, came before him who had been caught stealing bread. And she'd stolen it to be able to feed her grandchildren. So LaGuardia said, well, ma'am, I've I've got to punish you. It's $10 or 10 days in jail. And uh, then he quickly pulled out $10 out of his own billfold and threw it in his hat. And then he fined everyone in the courtroom 50 cents for living in a city where, quote, where a person has to steal bread so that her grandkids can eat. So she left there with her fine paid, free to go, and $47.50 in her pocket. That's called mercy. Because justice was $10 or 10 days. Uh, Jonah, in the whole Bible is a story in a textbook on mercy for others. Now, I don't know what you know about Jonah, but let me give you just a little background. Jonah was born in a town called Corythamos. It was near a Greek town called Azotus. And this is not his first prophecy. It might be unusual for you to know, but 2 Kings 14, 23 through 27 gives his other prophecies. And after his prediction at uh, at Nineveh, he ends up um, going to live with his mother in a place called Sur. And after that, he returns to Judea, and there he dies. And he's buried in a cave called at Kenaz. That's his history. The thing is, is that his history overlaps ours. We struggle with mercy for others. Jonah struggled with mercy for others. Ephesians chapter 2. Let me give you an example of that so you'll know that you and I struggle. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 11 and 12 says, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, 
who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time, talking about when we didn't know Jesus and before Jesus had come even, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. Now, I want to focus in on that term, no hope. You had no hope. And all the Gentile world had no hope. The word, the Greek word there for hope, literally is the word expectation. You had no expectation. To have an expectation, you have to have a promise. And they were living without a promise. But you shouldn't interpret that without the possibility of being saved. That's not what that means. Somebody without hope is not without the possibility of being saved. That's not what that means. Because if that's what that means, then God shouldn't have sent Jonah to Nineveh. Because they were Gentiles. And if Gentiles do not have the possibility of being saved, this was a mistake. God did wrong. He should have left them alone. So clearly the Gentile world did not exist without the possibility of being saved. They just didn't have the expectation because they were not under the covenant of promise. And we don't interpret hope that way, have you noticed? We think hopeless means can't. That's not what it means. Not in the scriptures. Jesus taught that God had loved the world. And by the way, John three sixteen, when he says, for God so loved the world, he didn't just start loving the world. He didn't just suddenly say, oh, I never thought about this before. I could love everybody. I'm sorry, I only love the Jews. For God had always loved the world. And the Jews were a pathway to do that. Through Jesus, not just the Jews. But that's a hard lesson if you're a Jew. In Luke chapter 9, verses 52 through 56, it says, They entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him, that is Jesus, because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. You want to go to Jerusalem. Well, they didn't like the Jews down in Jerusalem. Verse 54, and when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? We'll get them. Verse 55, but he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. But that's a hard thing to understand when you see yourself as the righteous. In Luke chapter 4, verses 24 through 27, I'll pick up at verse 25. I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow, a Gentile widow. Hmm. Verse 27. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian, the Gentile leper. Now, That was too much for them. They couldn't handle that much truth at that moment. How do I know? 
Because the next two or three verses say, at that, they took him out, intending to kill him, to throw him off the cliff. They couldn't handle that much truth about mercy at that moment. It was easier to handle the truth about, I'm right. You want to to preach a sermon today and tell me how right I am about everything I believe? I'm in for that. You you want to tell me about how I'm, everything we've done in this worship service is scriptural. I'm in for that. But don't tell me I need to show mercy to other people. That's too far. That's too much mercy. And that's too hard. And those were Jesus' words. They're not my words from both Luke and chapter 9 and chapter 4. Those are Jesus' words. But what were his actions? Well, Jesus healed a Gentile woman's daughter. And then, you remember when he declared meat clean? The scriptures make it clear that he didn't just declare meat clean. He declared flesh clean. And that's Acts 10. The Gentiles would be received into the kingdom. So I think that's a hard bridge for some people to accept that God could ever be merciful in a way that doesn't fit my preconceived notions of what God would do. See, we're kind of of the King Richard III guy. We like King Richard III because King Richard III one night, he was out recontouring his battle lines and he came across a sentinel that was supposed to be standing watch, obviously, And he found him sound asleep. So he pulled out the sword of the sentinel and pinned him against the tree he was leaning against. And then attached a note on it that said this. I found him asleep and left him so. That's where we tend to lean. But that's not who God is. If you pick up on anything on this story... That may be who we are, but that's not who God is. And it should not, but I'm afraid it did reflect Jonah's attitude at the beginning of this book. And it may reflect ours. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, Romans 9 verse 15. Clearly, this book suggests, especially preachers, Struggle with showing mercy. In our effort to make sure you do what it says on page number 783, and then you need to do what, and if you don't do that, well, you're, you're going to be, you're going to hell. And then you got to do what it says on 124, and you got to do what it says on B17. I mean, you, you got to do it all. And in an effort to make sure we're doing the will of God, if we're not careful, we send the message of no hope means There's no way you can be saved. No way that God would ever reach down. And and yet God says in Romans 9, 15, I, whether you like it or not, ladies and gentlemen, this is God speaking, not me. I, God, not me. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. He ain't asking my opinion of it. He does what he wants. But we think we need to define what God means. We must be careful. 
Let's stay within our bounds. Amen? Let's be people, not God. And let's look for his bounds. Let's let him define them in the end. Because ultimately, that's in his purview, not mine. And just because I'm a preacher and I like to draw the lines, maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I ought to use pencil so it can be erased. Okay? I want to give you three struggles in running from mercy because that's what this is really all about. The book is about running from mercy. Don't want to show it to someone else. You got that right? Running from mercy and it begins with a running start. In Jonah 1 verses 1 through 3 it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it. So it's not that they're doing right. We're not having mercy on people who are doing right. For their wickedness has come up before me. By the way, you can't have mercy on somebody that's doing what's right. They don't need mercy. They need justice. Verse 3. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Or at least he thought. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. That's probably way over there towards Spain. So he paid the fare. He's willing to pay out some money to get away from this. And went down in it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. I'm going to get away from God. God's not going to make me do this. Let me ask you a question. Uh, Are you still running from showing mercy? You you need to understand you cannot. Psalm 139 verses 7 and 8 says, Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? Wherever I go, across the land, across the sea, go up the sky. Behold, you're there. You can't run from it. Ladies and gentlemen, you need to learn to deal with this book. Don't run from it. Learn to show mercy. The second little truth is in running from mercy, he ran into a very resourceful, sovereign God. Look what he does. I won't read all of it, and I'll just tell you a couple of things. Verses 4 and 5. But the Lord sent out. So this is all God's work. Somebody says, oh, this just happenstance, coincidence. No, that's the way we think today. (laughs) Actually, God's involved in our life today. Amen? Amen. And so, but the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. That's a pretty good storm. Verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. What else did he do? Number one, he sent the storm. Number two, he controlled the lot. How do you do that? I got no idea how you could do that. He controlled the lot. Number one, he controlled the storm. Number two, he controlled a random thing called a lot. And number three, he controlled a fish. Making it come to the surface when he wanted And made him hungry for a man that he had never tried before. Now, folks, God's sovereign. He's in full control. He has not lost control. He's not out of control. Things aren't happening higgly-piggly. And he's going, oh my goodness, I don't know what's going on. He is in full control. Listen to Job 38, verses 34 and 35. 
Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that an abundance of water may cover you? Can you send out lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? No, we can't. So we decide God can't either. We want to be God so bad that we just decide God can't. Rather than believing he can and accepting I can't. So, are you sure you know what God can do? Now listen, it's not talking about the fish, and I'm not talking about the lot, and I'm not talking about the storm. I'm talking about mercy. Are you sure you know what God can do? And what He will do when He gets through? Are you sure? Do you know God's heart that well? Number three, they were running for, he was running for mercy and he ended up a rebellious sleeper. Look at verses five and six. Then the mariners were afraid and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was on the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down in the lowest part of the ship and laying down was fast asleep. Isn't that interesting? Totally sound asleep. Look at verse six. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. Sound asleep. What's the connection here? Why was that so important to the story? Isaiah 29, verses 10, 11. For the Lord had poured out on you the spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, namely the prophets, and he has covered your heads, namely the seers. Why would God do that? Why would God want him to go to sleep? Why would that be a important thing to tell in this story? And why it's so critical? Do all people who are doing wrong fall asleep? Yep. Because listen to me. Do you know what this book's about? Listen to me. Who is Jonah? My Jonah was born in Jasper, Alabama in 1957. Where was your Jonah born? You see, this message is not to anybody but to you. And if you don't recognize it, you are asleep. If you think this is talking to other people, you are asleep. You're not just asleep, you're fast asleep and need to be woken up. So I tried that just a little bit there. You need to wake up. This is not someone else. This is you and me. The struggle with showing mercy. We need to learn. And I'm afraid we're fast asleep. So running from mercy, like Jonah, running from mercy ends up running start away from a God you can't get away from, a resourceful sovereign who can reach out to you in three, four, five, six, a thousand different ways. And it's a rebellious sleeper who can't accept. That's not me. I'm merciful to everybody. Maybe. Maybe not. A.W. Tozer said that Jesus came to make worshipers out of rebels. He was talking about all of us. Jonah was sent to save rebels 
and needed to learn. What did he need to learn? Mercy. See, all preachers, and I are one, kind of, all preachers, listen up, all elders, listen up elders, I'm talking to you, wake up, all deacons, talk to you deacons, wake up, all Bible class teachers, talk to you teachers, wake up. All members of the kingdom of God, wake up, talk to you. All of us seem to be tilted toward a little bit of Phariseeism, unforgiveness, and a lack of mercy. That's our tilt. Because of trying to do good, trying to do the right thing, we end up being a little mean. And we need to learn mercy. Mercy. See, all those helping the poor, the sick, the naked, those in prison, those that are strangers, and the erring, Jesus talks about, all those trying to restore someone in sin, all those doing mission work, all those talking to others of a different persuasion, Need to learn mercy too. You say, wait a minute, I'm doing those things. Therefore, I am merciful. No, 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 no. You missed the point now. Jonah did this stuff and didn't have any mercy. You could walk the path and have nothing inside that reflects mercy. Are you listening to me? So just because you've been doing some of this stuff, don't deceive yourself into believing that you have a heart that quickly forgives or a heart that quickly shows mercy. Wake up from your stupor. Recognize, I struggle with it. And try to be merciful anyway. Because that's what the story's about. As a high school basketball player whose mother had passed away on game day. So he made it to the game after the funeral. Well, it wasn't that day, sorry. He made it to the game after his mother passed away, went to the game anyway. The coach invited him to sit down beside him on the bench. But the young man said, I want to play. I think I should play. He's a good player. And because, I don't know if you know the rules, but if you're late to the game like that in high school, there's a technical foul that is awarded to the other team if you go in. And that's two shots. And so he said, go in. Well, they told, the referees told the other side, you get a technical foul. Come out here. Nobody wanted to come out. Nobody wanted to shoot. Nobody, they knew the boy. They I don't want to shoot technical fouls because he had to be late because his mama. You want to shoot technical? Finally, finally, the uh, captain of the team said, I'll do it, coach. So he went out there, still on the foul line, dribbled it, and then and shot it about one or two feet, and it dropped to the ground. He got his second shot, and he let it roll off his hands and just dribbled to the ground. That's called mercy, my friend. That's called mercy. We need to learn to show more. A mother once approached Napoleon. She's seeking a pardon for her son 
And the emperor said to the woman, well, you know, your son has committed an offense, not once, but twice. And the offense deserves death. And he's committed the offense twice. Justice demands death for him. And the mother said, but I don't ask for justice. I plead for mercy. And then he said, but your son does not deserve mercy. And the mom said, sir, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I ask for. And the emperor said, well then, I'll have mercy. And she set him free. I want mercy from the hand of the Lord. You? Now, if I'm wanting it so bad, and I need to recognize that not only am I a problem, I'm Jonah, but I'm also Nineveh. I'm Nineveh. I'm the one that needs the mercy. And then I need to learn that I'm Jonah and I need to show the mercy. Right? So no matter who you are or what your sin, mercy is available. But you got to come and fall on God's mercy. And all in this story, they fell on the mercy of God. It isn't just you just get it automatically. You have to fall on His mercy. If you're here today and you've never fallen on the mercy of God, then identify as one who believes that Jesus Christ is the risen Lord. Repent of your sins, confess His name, and be baptized and fall on the mercy of God. And God will have mercy on you. God bless you if you need to. Come while we stand, while we sit.